Hello everybody, welcome to Tell with Tootie and today I'm so happy to announce that I have this wonderful guest, her name is Crystal Romero and she is amazing, she has a wonderful story um, to share with us, she is um, a retired from the armed forces, she was in the military for 16 years and she's currently an activist for uh, those retirees from the military and she has an amazing story and I will love she's also Hispanic and I will love love to share her story so welcome to Tell with Chidi Crystal how are you? <laughs> thank you so much Chidi I'm doing well thank you thanks for having me absolutely absolutely you know I was I was looking a little in doing my little research about your work and I thought that it was super amazing that you know, somebody that experienced um, something so impacted, you know, like join the army forces and then uh, dedicating their life after that to help in, in covering those healing spots that we might need. I thought it was super, super amazing. So let's talk to everybody about this. Like, can you just, let's go start for like, what interests you about the military life? Um, well, I always wanted to join the military since I was a little kid. My, um, my padrino, which is godfather, mm -hmm. it was uh, a baton death march survivor. So I grew up with his stories. Him and my madrina helped raise both my mom and I, because my, I was, uh, my mom was 15 when she had me. So, <clears throat> uh, just and he would always tell me when I was a little kid that I was born to be a soldier because I was born on March 4th and soldiers always march forward. <laughs> so I just kind of took that to heart. And since I was a kid, I just, it's just something that I had always wanted to do. So when it comes to the boot camp, we always see that like being portrayed in the movies. How real is that? How accurate um, is that? Um, I mean, it's pretty accurate. It's, it's really important uh, for folks who join the military to be physically fit and also mentally fit mm -hmm. just because of the stuff that we have to do. And one of the reasons why physical fitness is stressed so much is because ultimately we're training for war. So you have, I mean, you got to be, you need to be, you need to be strong. You need to be able to, you know, carry your buddies out. If, you know, if, some, if something goes south, you need to be able to outrun the enemy. You need to be able to, um, you know, carry equipment for long periods of time if needed. And um, just all aspects of the physical fitness and the mental fitness portion of it, it's, it is, it's very important. And um, yeah, it's pretty strenuous. So they do push us. They do our, they do push our physical limits, but Ultimately, it's so that we're able to carry out the mission. So what was so important for you to stay in your hometown in base? Actually, when I enlisted in the military, I was 17 and wow. I was actually working at, I was actually working at Walmart. <laughs> I was a cashier and um, <clears throat> I didn't, honestly, I didn't really understand uh, when I had a, a recruiter talk to me uh, I thought I was joining the army 
And, you know, I was getting ready to go off to boot camp. I went to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And when I got there, you know, the, my drill sergeant was like, okay, well, you're, oh, you're National Guard. So you need to, you know, you're, he was explaining how like it's different. And I was like, what do you mean it's different? And um, so I served in the National Guard, which is, um, you know, they're part-time positions, except for after my first two years of serving, I decided that I wanted to do it full-time. So I didn't want to just do it one weekend a month you know, two weeks a year. I wanted to be in uniform every day. So that's when I went full-time. So there's actually a part-time National Guard positions in the, <clears throat> in the Army National Guard. And then there's full-time positions. There's active guard reserves and then there's um, active duty operational support, which is what I did. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, that's the difference. So National Guard is, we are controlled by the governor. Mm -hmm that's basically our commander in chief and active duty, you know, they report to the president. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the major difference. And honestly, had I known and had it been explained to me differently, um, I would have gone regular army, not national guard, but I liked it. I mean, ultimately I, I loved what I did. You did 16 years of your life. Yes. 16 years, three months. <laughs> wow. So being 16 years in role, how do you go back to civilian life? How do you transition? Um, well, I didn't, I didn't do too well. I did not have a good transition at all. Uh, when I left the military, uh, I didn't leave on my own. I wasn't ready to leave. I, I was actually forced out. And because of that, you know, I suffered from moral injury and that's actually what, what is a, a big portion of my, of my post-traumatic stress. I have complex post-traumatic stress. And um, so for like the first two years when I got out of the military, I was extremely depressed. I was really depressed. I gained a lot of weight because I just, I didn't want to do nothing. I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to go nowhere. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Uh, a lot of my, a lot of, I lost a lot of friends during that period of time because I kind of just went into isolation mode. And I was also filled with a lot of rage. I was really, I was just, I was really angry and I became very short fused. So, you know, like little minor, infractions would just set me off. Uh, I became very irritable and I was just, every day I was just battling my anxiety and my depression. So for my first two years, I honestly say I can, I, that I had a really difficult time. How do you cope and with And then, that? well, honestly, you know, I've, I've got, I've got three daughters. So it kind of just, you know, just one day I was just like, what am I doing? You know, like I have, I'm raising three women. I cannot just sit around on the couch all day long. Like I get my kids off to school and then I go to the couch and sometimes like, and I'm not really like a, a big alcohol user um, or anything like that. And so I would just eat 
I would sit on the couch. Matter of fact, I binge watched Grey's Anatomy. I don't know if anybody's ever seen Grey's Anatomy, but there's like yes. 12 seasons. Yes, a lot. Like I, yeah, that's all I did. Wow. And so finally one day I was, I, I kind of like gave a little self-talk, like, what the hell are you doing? Like, what's wrong with you? Get off your ass and just do something already. Like quit. No one's going to come for you. Like no one's going to come rescue you. And so I just made a decision to start working out and working out helped me tremendously because it got me out of the house and I started feeling better about myself. So, so you mentioned earlier that you were forced out. So do you think that mm -hmm. the main, uh, the main trigger of your depression was the fact that you thought that you still have more stuff to get done inside the, the forces. And why, why did you feel that you needed to be rescued? Well, I didn't feel like I needed to be rescued, but I just knew that nobody was going to help me. You know, I had to help myself and I absolutely wasn't done. I mean, I had, I was at the peak of my career. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, I had made E7, uh, I had been in E7 for about, let's see, for five years, and that's Sergeant First Class, so there's, there's nine enlisted ranks, E1 through E9, and I was at E7, and I had just, you know, kind of gotten the hang of being a junior non-commissioned officer, uh, I was a platoon sergeant, so I was I was getting that leadership development that you know that is so crucial to our careers, and like I, I was I was at my prime, like I was at my peak, and I was just I was really proud of even the work that I was doing because I worked in substance abuse, and I was able to help a lot of soldiers that had turned to drug and alcohol abuse. So like, I felt that I was making a difference. And I mean, I just completely got sidelined and it was, it was, it was really hard for me because one, nobody wanted to help me, nobody. I mean, officers were afraid, uh, enlisted people were like, would kind of avoid me and um it it you know that sense of betrayal especially after you've worked with these people for so long it's just it was really painful like it was extremely hurtful and that hurt just turned into anger do you think that your career got sabotaged by your superiors it 100 percent did and uh, it 100% did. And you know, this is not the first time that I hear something like that. I also, you know, have uh, known people that are in the military and that are achieving a lot of stuff and a lot of um, accomplishments. And also have kind of like the same things, very clicky inside. <laughs> it's, it's an organization yeah. that is, you know, is kind of like the cool kids only get, only get the cool things, the cool clicks. Oh, yeah the very connections, and, and they cover a lot among themselves. But there's only a few, you know, it's like very clicky, I would say so. And mm -hmm. um, it's very unfortunate 
because yeah, as, as, as you, you know, mentioned is, it's most of the time not based in performance, but in mm -hmm. who your friends are type yeah. of thing. So, um, yeah. it's very unfortunate. Do you think that the, uh, the government, do you think that the military can do a better job helping those members to adjust to the civilian life? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Titi, there's actually a lot of programs that are, you know, in existence to help military people transition over to the civilian world. There's, um, you know, like I'm on LinkedIn and I follow so many, even just veteran owned nonprofits that, you know, that they've, they've decided that, hey, like, you know what, I had a hard time transitioning. So I'm going to create a foundation or an, or a nonprofit uh, to, you know, to help people like me. So now, like currently, I think that there's, there's a lot of options and the resources are there. But what I feel the military should do is help market those better because you don't know to go get that help if you don't know it exists. Yeah. And for like, um, not that I'm old, but you know, I, I am older, <laughs> you know, I, I've got a little bit more experience, so I know to go research stuff. You know, that's one of the things that I'm really good at. So like when I'm trying to figure something out, like I'll go find the answers, right? I'll know, but I'll know where to look as opposed to younger uh, service members when they get out, you know, say they served, you know, maybe four years, but they were combat veterans, uh, they get out and they're not really sure where to go. Uh, I know a lot of veterans that they've been out for, you know, six, seven years, and they had no idea that they could get healthcare at the VA. Like they had no idea. Like nobody, nobody took the time to explain that to them. And that kind of stuff is so hurtful to our veteran organization and our community, because like I said, if you don't know, you don't, you don't go and ask for the help. And then that's how we have suicides. That's how we have drug and alcohol problems. That's how we have homelessness. So um, it's very important that you touch that um, subject, homeless. You know, for a country, you know, as an outsider, you know, I, everybody knows that I am not. And for those who don't know, I am not. Uh, was, I wasn't born here in America. I'm Colombian. But I, I, when I'm moving here, I noticed that Americans are very patriotic, you know, very proud of their country and super proud of their law enforcement and the military forces. That's just very proud. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's super different to see military people that have run in the military that have served for your country and you claim to be so proud of them and they're homeless. A lot of them yeah. or yes. battling with PTSD, 30. schizophrenia, mm -hmm. mental illness in general, addiction. And we like see them in. So that led me to believe is like, are we possible for the military after those services are done? Can we do much better? Like, how can we oh, yeah. take care of these people? I mean, we are so proud, right? We are so proud of having military forces and, and how 
amazing they are and how we serve our country and how we defend our, you know, our borders. But, but are but, we but to defending the, those America people? does. America does. They, they take care of us so much. I mean, haven't you ever been to Home Depot? They give us a 10% discount. <laughs> They're taking care of us. I feel so protected and so... And know, this like, is sarcasm, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciated, <laughs> appreciated for my service because when I got to go buy, I mean, not lumber, they don't give a discount on lumber, but if I need nails and a hammer, I'm going to get a dollar, a dollar off. So, you know what? I mean, that's the problem, right? It's like the, the energy is, is kind of going in the wrong direction. If, you know, if America really loved or you know, supported the veterans and whatnot, then we, we wouldn't have these issues. We wouldn't have, you know, 30% of, uh, of the veteran community is homeless. That's, that's, that's almost embarrassing. Like you should be embarrassed as an American that we've no. got that we've got that large number of homeless veterans. Okay, I want to touch a subject that is uh, very, you know, sad. And with that, I have also a question. You know, is is I'm sure that you're very familiar with Vanessa Guillen and. Yes the base that she served at in Texas. So now I'm asking you before transitioning to her case, as a woman in the military, you have to face a lot of danger and predicament while you enrolled defending your flag. But what also, what are also the dangers the unsafeness that you face within your own corporation? Do you feel safe 100% the entire time? Do you think that women in the military are being protected? So this is uh, kind of a, you know, kind of a, this is where I get, like my disappointment sets in because my only experience with a sexual assault or sexual harassment rather uh, was at the beginning of my career and at the very end and like completely and so and then I had like I didn't really have a whole lot in between and let me explain so when I when I enlisted I went to basic training at Fort Jackson it was awesome like loved it I was um, I had a I had a great unit I had a great you know, I was in a co-ed team and I didn't have issues. I didn't have a lot of issues at all. Uh, you know, women, we do have to work harder because, you know, we're, you know, twice as we're, we're smaller, mm -hmm. you know, by, by nature, we're just naturally the smaller person, you know, I'm only five feet tall. So uh, I always had to work a little bit harder, but uh, you know, that didn't really bother me. When I got to my advanced individual training school, which is where you go to learn how to use your job, uh, our whole nine weeks, everything went great. I was, you know, graduation day was coming upon us. And my drill sergeant called me into his office on graduation day. You know, we had already packed up everything. Like our duffel bags were lined up on the sidewalk outside. 
And I go to the office and he told me that I was a holdover. And I was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't really understand what that meant. And he said that, oh, well, there's some, there's some problems with your paperwork. Uh, Cause I had to go home on emergency leave. <clears throat> and, you know, during my time at, at training. So he says, there's something wrong with your paperwork. And it kind of didn't make any sense to me, but you know, this is, this is my drill sergeant, right? This is someone I've been listening to for the last nine weeks and have been looking, have been, I've been looking up to him. So I, I just I took his word for it. And then I said, well, how come nobody else told me? Like, I'm about to get on a bus. And he was just like, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. He's like, uh, what's really going on is, you know, I just, I just, I want to take you to a hotel room and fuck your brains out. Like, that's what he said to me. I was 18 years old. This wow. man was probably about, probably in his 40s. And in that moment, uh, I was, you know, I went into like a very quick survival mode. Uh, you know, my, my childhood experience kind of prepared me for this kind of stuff. So, you know, just real quick, I said, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, let me go get my bags. And, you know, he just kind of nodded his head. He thought he believed me. And I, I left, I walked out of that room. I ran outside. I grabbed my duffel bags and I jumped on the first bus. Like I didn't even care where the bus was going. I'm like, I'm getting out of here. And I left and I like never looked back. I didn't, I just, I, I remember sitting there on the way to the airport going like, I can't believe that this just happened. And, um, like that was my first experience with you with that type of situation. Do you feel comfortable bringing that up to his superiors? Um, honestly, it was just really disappointing. I was like, I couldn't believe it. Like I was like, man, I looked up to that dude for, for nine weeks. Like I looked up to him, you know, I trusted him and for him to say that to me, it was just, I mean, obviously it pissed me off. But um, after that, I didn't have a lot of incidents with sexual harassment at all. Um, I worked in a unit, at, I mean, at one point of, of my career, I was in a unit with, I was the only enlisted female for about eight years. And not once did I ever feel unsafe. Not once did I ever feel like they're going to harm me. Uh, if anything, I felt a little bit too overprotective, uh, protected. You know, I felt like I was there, you know, serving with like 15 dads and six brothers. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so like, so like I didn't have that experience. And that's one of the other reasons why this whole issue with sexual harassment and sexual assault in the military just really pisses me off because I'm like, Women and men can serve together. I mean, I did it. I mean, I'm testament to that, that women and men can serve in a unit, can work as cohesive teams without any issues. So when I heard about Vanessa Guillen, this was in, uh, let's see, June of 2020. Honestly, you know, all I needed to see was her face. Her face popped up on my Instagram feed. And it was like missing soldier. And I was like, what? So I just, I dove right in. 
I started looking into what, what would happen with her, what had happened with her and immediately just like jumped on the bandwagon. I was like, this is bullshit. Like you do not go missing. Everything about her story was like red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. It's like soldiers don't go missing. Good soldiers don't go missing. And uh, for them to count her AWOL, it, it, it just infuriated me. I was like, this is, no, we're not, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. So I just, that, that was the day I became an activist, was the day that I saw that young lady's face. Wow. Uh, do you think, I have two questions when it comes to that. Do you think that these are isolated events or do you think that it's just more that people don't talk about it? Well, over the last two years, mm -hmm. I have, um, I feel like I've been living under a rock, quite frankly, because I didn't realize how bad it was until I started doing this work. And it is extremely, it's, I mean, in, in Fort Hood, especially, I had a call yesterday. I mean, it's kind of funny that we were even doing this interview because I had a call yesterday from a, from a young female at Fort Hood. Wow. Um, I get people in my Instagram, like in my inbox, mm -hmm. on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, all the time of young ladies reaching out to me saying, hey, do you think you could help me? You see, they reach out to you because they don't feel safe reaching out to their superiors. They know there's nothing going to happen there. That is devastating. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. It's really sad because all this does is weaken our, our military. It just weakens our own organization. It's like, why would you want to weaken your own organization? You know what I mean? And I think that this, you know, this new culture of like, you know, sex is so, it's like a, it's like a trend. It's weird. <laughs> and I think that it makes it extremely difficult to, you know, to, I guess to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To fight it. You, you know, that this today's culture is, it definitely makes it challenging for the ones in the military that are trying to prevent it. Yeah. You know, I've met some incredible like sergeant majors, um, some incredible officers uh, that are really trying to like nip this in the butt. You know, they're like, this is not something that we do. This does not belong in our military. You know, we're not going to tolerate it. And, you know, it's, it's like pushing a rock up a hill sometimes. And I, I, you know, that's just my personal experience with the last two years. So has fighting for Vanessa been healing to you in any way? Okay, so <laughs> definitely cathartic because I had never dealt with my post-traumatic stress. To me, I, you know, when I got out, I kind of like just shoved it all in a, shoved it all in like the back of the cupboard and use, that's what usually what we humans we do with trauma we put it in the back of our head and yeah. then deal with it oh yeah i just i shoved it way back there with everything else you know from my childhood trauma and i just put it away i locked it up and like swallowed the key you know i wasn't 
even even having therapy and stuff like I, I still had not done any deep trauma work and this work that I'm doing now this advocacy work has really forced me to face my trauma and as painful as it can be because you know I I have panic attacks I have you know I have days where I just I don't feel like getting out of bed you know there's days where I'll 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 either sleep too much or I'm not getting any sleep at all. There's like no in between, you know, and I still deal with that like today, you know, present time. But one of the things that keeps me going is the fact that like, I know I'm making a difference. Like I, I know I'm helping soldiers that can't help themselves either because, you know, they're really young and they just don't know, or they're being stonewalled you know, by some, by someone in their chain of command. And my biggest thing with this whole sexual assault thing is that you can't report a problem to a problem. You can't. And oftentimes the chain of command is the problem. So, you know, until we can start holding people accountable, regardless of rank, we're going to keep having these problems. Yeah. Do you feel that they get a lot of protection when you have them like these higher, higher rankings? And there's like the, it's like there's, there's, they're no, they're, they're no talking policy. You see, you don't, you, you don't see, you don't talk. Do you think that that is common there? The higher the rank, the harder it is. That's for sure. I mean, I lost my battle because, uh, I had the influence of a three-star general, you know, versus that's who I was up against. And, and it wasn't even, I was up against the actual general. It was just, it was more um, his influence. Hmm. So now in 2020, I am Vanessa Guillen Act was announced. Could you explain what the importance of that act for people who don't know? The importance of the act, and I was kind of disappointed because it did get watered down a little bit, mm -hmm. um, or a lot, I don't know, it's personal opinion, I guess, but the importance is that it removes the chain of command from the investigation process. That was huge. That was huge. That was a huge step forward and a huge step towards change. So before, if you reported a sexual assault, Chances are that, uh, what if it was the, you know, what if it was the first sergeant or like the, you know, or the, what if he was in the commander? I mean, that happens. You can't, you can't go to the commander to report the problem, right? The commander or is Or say you go report, yeah, say you go and file a report and now the, you know, the sexual assault prevention office, right? what do they do they got to notify the chain of command of problem you see how it like it stops right there yeah it goes nowhere yeah it goes nowhere and then guess what this troop is now forced to work in a hostile work environment who the hell wants to do that how can you possibly expect someone to do their job or work in a hostile they don't even feel they don't even feel safe at work I mean, I had a young lady um, in uh, Romania contact me. This was about a month ago. And 
she was feeling like she was being harassed at work. So she went to the, the, um, the SARC, which is a sexual assault response coordinator. Yeah. And, you know, and, and wanted, she wanted to file a report because she was being harassed. And the SARC was doing everything in his power to convince her to not file the report because he was friends with the person. <sighs> wow. I mean, I'm like, how do you, people, they don't even have a chance. That's not right. It's a so, battle that you lost before you even started. Yeah. I mean, nothing ever chance, nothing has a chance to be good. You know, in 2020, you held your first rally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh so, my God, yes. Okay. Tell me what yeah. goes into making a rally and oh why did you, you decide to make one? All right. First of all, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how, how we start doing something. Oh my God. I was so nervous. I had no idea what I was doing. I, you know, I was on the phone. I was calling, um, like other advocates like around the U S right. I had, you know, cause obviously throughout this whole process, I've, uh, you know, I've connected with other people like advocates like myself. So I started watching like their videos I started watching press releases. I started watching like, you know, people that were, out, were on the hill that were, you know, advocating for stuff. I just started watching other people. And, and then I started reaching out to just my network, you know, in, in my 16 years of the military, you know, I, I had a pretty big network. So I started reaching out to people. I would call the, you know, I'd, I'd, call, I'd call the vet center. I'd call um, the VA. I called the SARCs from Kirtland Air Force Base, they're in, in Albuquerque, called the National Guard SARC, who was an extreme disappointment because she bailed out on my, she bailed out on my rally like a couple of days beforehand because someone told her that I was drama. And I was like, yeah. And see, and that's the problem, right? Like this, this person had no idea who I was. I had never met her. I had never common. met her. I had, right? Yeah. It's very just, common. If you are, if you have an opinion, if you are opinionated, if you are a fighter, if you work for your, you know, your causes, it's usually, is very common for us to be called dramatic or much worse. Oh yeah. So that means that oh, we're yeah. doing something right. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? My, my first thought was, it's like, someone like that doesn't belong in a position like that you know what I mean? if you're going to be biased it's extremely discouraging yeah and it's and it's it's a shame but but that's what i did i called you know i called all my buddies you know i have a friend that uh he he's a mariachi player so i called him up and i'm like hey can you help me with the sound system <laughs> you know what i mean like i i didn't have any i had no idea like i said when i tell you i had no idea what i was doing i mean it but um, I got on Facebook and I did like a video and I said, Hey, I'm reaching out to, you know, mothers against drug driving, you know, fathers against drug driving, you know, we're talking about the sons and daughters of America here. So I need everybody. And that's what I did. And, uh, I reached out to, to LULAC, which is the league of United Latin American citizens. And, uh, I called the, they have like a 1-800 number. I called them. 
and I got put in touch with the the state uh, treasurer in my the Lulac treasurer in my state, and I called him. I spoke to him, and he was like, "Whatever you need, what do you need? How can we help you?" And they really showed up. They really showed up. And nice. you know what? It was all civil. It was all civilians. I, I would, I reached out to the military, you know, to, to my, you know, to the folks that I used to serve with. And I was like, Hey man, can you guys support me on this? And there was so much hesitation. There was so much hesitation, you know, there's like, and, and to their defense, there is, there are army directives, right. That prohibit service members from attending protests. Like you can't protest in uniform. It's almost a way of controlling the narrative. And it's, it's sad because like they want to help, right? But like mm -hmm. their hands are tied because, because they're going in against their pension, they're going against their family, they're going against the security of their family. It's a way of manipulating in a way of controlling. It's a, it's a, a very toxic power trip. Very, yeah. very toxic. So have you gotten like an actively pushed back from members of the military? Like they have found your, your drive and actively wanting to push back on you? Uh, not, not really. Not really. Um, no, for the most part, I've gotten, I've received a lot of support from, um, from, you know, both active duty folks and reserve folks. I think that people are finally realizing that, wow, this is really a big problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that they don't want to wait till it happens to them. Crystal, they, have they're, you not, thought about they're not willing to take that, that risk. Uh, Krista, have you thought about getting into politics? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Not interested. No, thank you. No, you know that I reached, I reached out to Congress. Uh -huh. This is, and I'm probably going to get beat up for this, but that's okay. But you know, I reached out to Congress throughout this whole period, right? Mm -hmm. My own state senator never made time to meet with me. To this day. To this day. I wrote to his office. I couldn't even tell you how many times. And what's really sad is that he's on the Armed Forces Subcommittee. Like, yeah, so that was extremely disappointing, for sure. And, um, you, know, we, 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 uh, you know, I get messages, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get back with you, we'll get back with you, we'll get back with you. And here we are two and a half years later, and I still haven't been, nobody's gotten back with me. How weird. <laughs> Strange. He must be busy. Hmm. Must be, right? So now... So I no, want to wrap politics, things. No. <laughs> maybe maybe you change your mind. You never know. I think that would be super refreshing to see somebody standing with experience and the drive to help victims of certain environment. That is, you know, is a thing. It's very yeah. real. And everybody wants to. It is a thing. Sweep under the rug. So it would be really refreshing. So maybe, you know, maybe you will change your mind. Hopefully you will change your mind, Ron. You know what? I'm, I'm more of like someone that wants to work in the background, honestly. You know, I have, I have, I have three kids. I have three daughters and, you know, they're still, you know, age 20 and I've got twins that are 14. And I see how ugly people are, mm -hmm. how nasty people are. Yeah. And I just, I, I just, I don't want to put myself out there like that because I know what that could do to my kids. And, um, I just, I prefer to be in the background. I prefer to be like the support 
that's going to help you achieve that. I've got friends that are in politics. That's for the people. Matter of fact, that would be a great interview for you. Pam oh. Campos or, or, or Triste. Absolutely. You would love them. I, I would, and I support yeah, them 100%. Yeah, I would that's love. for the people. I'll connect you. <laughs> oh, I, please. I, everything that is yes. empowering and, and shows a light of things that, you know, usually people try to put in the darkness. I, please bring it on because, like right. I say, I have no Twitter. So if you, they want to attack me for it, they won't find me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I need to do. I just need to take down all my stuff. Like, you can't touch me because you can't find me. There you, you go. That's smart. <laughs> so um, now just to wrap things up on a good note uh, and good experiences. You also have a traveling bo- a blog. You have a blog. Name oh, yeah. traveling. <laughs> I did my research, Crystal. <laughs> I did my research. So you also have a blog that is traveling for chocolate. How uh, did I get yeah, travels, travels for chocolate? How how did you know, that name came that, from? You know, that's uh, that was part of my healing journey. I started that blog. Um, I want to say I started in 2015. And a good friend of mine is a social media influencer. She, she does this for a living. Uh, it's, she's the house of sequence. And she's just like a phenomenal human being. But I met her through um, Poshmark, through like this other platform. And she taught me basically like everything she knows. And so it inspired me to to do something different, completely different, right? Like I used to to work in weapons of mass destruction in the military. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm going to do a travel blog, a lifestyle blog. And I had, I think I suck as a writer. I think I'm horrible. So I was like, oh, I don't know. And I probably have like five people that follow me. So like, it's not that big of a deal, <laughs> but um, she taught me everything. And you know what? That really helped me climb out of that depression that I was in. That was a huge, huge part of my healing journey. You know what I mean? Like digging into myself and finding other things that I loved and, and just embracing my inner child. You know, I'd always wanted to go to, you know, see other countries. And I'm like, I have no reason to not do it. I have nothing stopping me but myself. So I, I started booking flights and getting passport stamps and making friends all over the world. Isn't that amazing? I and, love traveling. Yeah. And um, so. What did travel for chocolate? That was came part from? of. That was. Oh my gosh. It's, a, it's so a funny story. Sorry. Another time. There is, oh my God. There is. <laughs> it's okay. You're in California. That's kind of like the background music, right? That's right. Like mood music. This is. Oh my Lord. <laughs> the Bay Area is active yeah. today, ladies and gentlemen. So what is I it? love the Bay Area. You like it? But no for dating. <laughs> no. For no. Dating. <laughs> no. It's horrible for dating. It's the worst. I can attest to that. Yeah. Well, I'm out of the pool, but I'm telling you, the struggle was real. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's real everywhere. So oh. yeah, I feel you on that one. Yeah, I, I love the Bay Area, but I tell everybody, not for dating. It's awful. <laughs> San Francisco is awful. But where is the chocolate, travel for chocolates came from? Why that name, Travel for Chocolate? Do you like chocolate a lot? Um, you know what? My friend, 
the one I was telling you about. Yeah. When I first started my travel thing, my Instagram name was Little Miss Chris, like L I L M S C R Y S. And one day she kind of just roasted me and she was like, Your name sounds kind of like a chola. Like it's like a like it's like <laughs> a gang name or something. <laughs> She's like, You need to change it. <laughs> and I was like, Oh. I'm like, well, I'm like, Be honest. you know, if, if we're being honest, like I was in a gang when I was a teenager and oh. I was a chola. So like, it kind of, I mean, it kind of goes with the, you know, kind of goes with it. So, but she's like, no, we need to change it. We need to, we need something more catchy. So she actually helped me change it. And she came up with that. I think so, it's super and catchy I liked and cute. It. I liked and, it. <laughs> yeah. I liked it. Travel yeah, I liked for chocolate. It. That's pretty cool. What are the, what are your favorite places to travel? Places that you love to travel. You know, I love going to, um, I've been to Morocco and um, Spain, Ireland, Thailand. I've been to Thailand a couple times. Uh, Honestly, like, I don't know that I've found a favorite place yet. But for me, I love going, especially to third world countries, because it's just such an eye-opening experience. And you, you, you get a lot of like, man, like, I cannot be complaining about, you know, it humbles you out. The ho- it's it a humble experience. A hundred percent. I agree. It is. And, and I just love, you know, exploring other cultures. You know, I, I like to see how the world works. So getting to experience it firsthand is again, you know, that, that, that's pouring into me. That's, that's filling my, uh, my happiness tank. So it's kind of like chasing happiness. Oh, where are you going to go today? Yeah? Let's go to Ireland which was awesome. Um, and green, the windmills, and it's just oh, green and beautiful. And a lot of tall people, Scandinavians are huge, <laughs> huge, ladies and gentlemen. Women, yeah. and I, I think that's the only place in the world that I have felt that I was different. <laughs> because everywhere I yeah. went, I was just like, yeah, well, you know, there's brown people everywhere, there's loud people everywhere. But right. Ireland was like, whoa, I'm really yeah. on below here. Like I, in, in a sense of physics, like I, you can tell that I was not <laughs> born here. Everybody <laughs> was huge. The Scandinavians are huge and blonde. Everybody oh, yeah. blue eye, including the women. Amazonian, mm-hmm. tall, fit, tall women. Oh yeah. Well, Everybody I told blonde. you I'm five feet tall. So in Ireland, <laughs> so I was like this the entire time. I know. I like, am five nine and I felt like, whoo. Wow. Uh, it was me yeah. and my friend, I remember, and we were just like, yeah, everybody is huge. Like these women, 6'3", six, 6'2", six, gorgeous blondes, blue eye. Everybody's like blonde, blue eye. And it's just these two little caramel people just walking around. <laughs> I know, that was oh, fun. Though. It was yeah, fun. It, it is. It's an experience. And I think, I mean, I, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't even have passports. And I think that, you know, I think if, um, and I know that it's, you know, not easy to get one and it's, you know, it is a process, but I really think that, you know, folks should, you know, if they can, you know, take advantage of that experience because it is very humbling and um, it really just opens your eyes to like what the rest of the world looks like. So you're not just like in little box. I think that when you travel, you get to uh, change a lot of your perspective. You know, you get to see how the world looks like. And 
became more acceptance of reality. I would say so. We're all supposed to be just closed up in your small little town or your small little city, whatever, whatever you live. You know, you you have the same dotness of you know from childhood. But when you get out of it and look the way the world see everything in the world looks like, then you you became more compassionate to reality. So um, right. I am so and the glad. Food. Oh my God, the food. It just food, awakens your right? palate, right? <laughs> it just awakens your palate. It's, it's amazing. I, that's wow. Now that you touch base on that, you know, oh my God, I don't think I would have right? enough time Tell to me, talk like, about food, that. Food heals, food it's heals different. the soul. Middle Eastern food. It is. Ooh, amazing. It's delicious. I mean, Hispanic in all, you know, all spectrums, Middle Easterns. Uh, Indian food. Oh my God. I like spicy. <laughs> I like spicy. See? See, look how happy you just got talking yeah, about food. It's right? like, because it's I, like, I, yeah. I thought, I thought that Mexicans have a spicy food until I, I try Indian food and I'm like, whoa, like this is me. Where, where have you been? And, and everything is like Thai and oh my God. It's, it's, amazing i think everybody should should give themselves the opportunity to travel and see the world yeah. for their own eyes know the narrative that is being you know it's been done out there but um, yeah don't believe everything you see on tv man go experience it for yourself yes, you'll, you'll you really know, see the truth media, of the people yeah social media yeah. and 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 big news outlets you know everybody you know have a narrative that they have to abide too. So when you go and you put yourself right. out there and you see it for your own eyes and you have a different experience and you actually will discover reality with your own eyes. So I uh, just mm -hmm. to just to wrap this up, I just wanted to let you know, just express my gratitude for the work that you have done. I consider myself a very opinionated person and I have gotten in trouble multiple times and I will continue to do so because I am very strong in my beliefs and what I think that we should fight for. And um, women empowering is super important for me. Being able to be, have that individuality and just fight for what you truly believe is super, super in need and empowering this. So I thank you not only for your service, but for everything that you're doing behind the scenes, like you mentioned before, for all those people that need you, that need us. And so if you have a platform, why not use it in a most healthy manner? So thank you so much, Crystal. And just to, I usually like to wrap up with like, a, you know, voice of empowerment and encouragement. So for those who need, you know, help, there's actually help out there. There's, there's healing behind those wounds and with power and love, you are definitely be able to do so. So uh, thank you thank so you. much, Crystal. And I am thank so glad. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> that I have to talk to you and share your experience. And everybody, thank you so much for listening to us and for tuning in on Telewish 2D. I'm very glad to share all these experiences and don't forget that you can find us in Audible, Apple Music, iHeartRadio and all main podcast streams, Spotify and all main podcast streams. Thank you so much and thank you. What thank can you. I say? Nice to meet you. <laughs>
amazing to meet you, Krista. You've got a friend in New Mexico now. Yes. And I got another friend in the Bay Area. I'm yes. gonna come look at you. We're gonna go eat. Yes, please. <laughs> bye bye, everybody.